0: What is the church? Is the church a building? Is the church a pastor? Or the staff? Is the church the music? The tradition? Or the ministries? These are all good things but they are not the church take them away and the church is still here why? because you are still here the church is you the church is you with a purpose the church is you on a mission the church is you with a plan a simple plan to plug into God at a weekend service to charge up in a small group community to live out using your gifts and passions and to pass on your faith to those who do not know Christ when you and I live like this All the things we used to do in church become things we do as the church. God desires it, the world needs it, and we are called to be it. What is the church? The church is you.
1: I get an amen we are starting a a new series and um, if you've been around our church long enough you you know what a series is we we take a topic and then we talk about it till we're just sick of it and then we move on to the next series and uh, uh, we just ended a series on heaven wasn't that fun talking about heaven isn't that good all right Thought I'd get a little more lively response, but that's okay. Uh, there you go. <laughs> We're uh, we're starting a new series on the church, and 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 here's what I want to look at. Basically, what we're going to do is today we're gonna we're gonna look at one scripture and um, a couple scriptures uh, in Ephesians, Ephesians four and two. So if you've got your Bibles, or if you want to, uh, there's a Bible in the chair in front. Of you, you can take that Bible. We're going to get to that in just a second. So just turn there and just. Be ready to 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 read that with me, and um, this is going to be kind of the basis for our series. And here's here's what I want us to do. Every single one of you, if I were to uh, interview you and ask you what is the church, we would have a lot of different answers to that. And what I what the reason why I felt so led to do this series for the next four weeks is my desire for for living word for you as the body of Christ is to understand. What the church really is and how you are a part of that. And basically, how do we do church at Living Word? Because how many you know, either you were raised with a different type of tradition or maybe you came from a different church and it's a little different from the way we do things here at Living Word. Not Not that, not that we do it right and other churches do it wrong, but... But what has God led us to do here at Living Word? And, and some of the things that we practice and we do may be a little bit different from what, what you're used to doing or what, uh, what you were brought up with. And, and what I want us to do is, is just get an understanding as the body at Living Word, what God has called us to do. And how God has called us not only to grow as a body of Christ, grow closer together and to grow in discipleship but also get a heart, a, a huge heart for our community. Not only for our community, but for the world. How many you know that, that God has placed this group of people in this community for a reason and a purpose? If, if you were to look at the, even at the history of Living Word some 30 years ago, just, you know, some of you that have been here a long time, you know, Living Word is, it's been, it been around the block. It's, it's been different places. It was at the post office. It was at an at antique dealer, if you look at some of those different storefront places. And finally, the Lord opened, up the, uh, open, opened it up for us to have a property here. And then we, we built a church here. And you had a small group of people that began to pray, that began to believe that God could do something great here in Ontario, and all the Ruth. Ruth was there. She knows. She, she's. She's. We call her Mother Ruth. She is the mom of this church. Okay. So don't mess with her, because she'll hurt you. But um. So. It started with a small group of people that just prayed, God, we want you to do something great here in Ontario. And from that, it continued to grow and continue to grow under godly leadership until you're sitting here today in this building. And and, and, and God has done a great work. And that's something to rejoice about. That's something to be happy about. But, but that's the church. The church isn't a building. The, the church isn't about worship. The, the church isn't about our certain style. The church is you. You are are the body of Christ that God desires to use. Now, I, I love the, how many, I mean, I, I'll tell you what, it was just mind-blowing on Thursday. There's probably three to 400 people that pass through our church from this community. I'm watching people from across the, the street in and, uh, and, and the community that lives across the street in the, in the mobile home park, walking across the street into our church. And, and, and as I'm walking, we, we brought um, hay or straw into the, into the gym, and it was a mess. The, it was a mess. There was straw all over the place. And I'm just sitting back, and, and, and I, was, I was getting a little ADD, a little stressed out, a little, wow, this is going to be a huge cleanup. But then the Lord reminded me, this is what the church is for. It's not supposed to be clean. It's supposed to get messy because people's lives are messy. And it was just symbolic. I was just sitting there. I had this just Jesus moment. You ever get those Jesus moments? And I just had a Jesus moment. Like Jesus saying, "Barden, this is what the church is for. This is why we built this building is so people could come in and find the love of Christ. That's what the church is for. And and here's my desire. Here's my desire. When we get through these four weeks, God will change your heart. God will give you a different vision. You will begin to see that the church is not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my comfort. Because what begins to happen, and we all do this, and I do it too, because I was sitting in in the narthex in one of the chairs and watching all the hay get dragged through, and you know, and I'm thinking, oh, this is this is kind of messy, and we got to keep the church clean, and you know, I was feeling that when I'm like, wait a minute, this is what it's for. We can clean it up later. And and we did. We, We cleaned up. We vacuumed for like five straight hours. But you know what? You know what? It was worth it. It was worth it. Because we're reaching families. 40 families came to this place on Thursday. That's something to get excited about. See, what begins to happen, I know for me, is we come into church, right? The, the building. We think the church is a building. We come into church, and we get comfortable, and we come for a while, and, and we get used to our friends and where we sit. And I know somebody, we're, we're all creatures of habit, right? We, we, we sit in the same spot every Sunday. We, just, we, we know our friends, and we just get used to things. We're just creatures. That's just the way it is. But what begins to happen, if we're not careful, we can become numb to our surroundings, and to our community, and to the people who really need it. And all of a sudden, church ends up being a church for church people and not a place to reach outsiders. And we always have to have in our heart and our mind that Jesus always reached out to the outsider. Those that didn't feel part, those that, those that felt like they were on The fringe. And when you begin to look at the church, it's mind blowing to me how Jesus Christ brings in people from all different backgrounds, all all different ethnic backgrounds, and he brings them together under his mighty hand, under the the precious uh, sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, and he brings us together and then he unifies us as one where we sit together and we do community together. We begin to love each other. We begin to invest in each other's lives. And so church stops becoming more about me and how God, how can you use me to further and expand your kingdom? And so that's what we're going to just, we're going to dive into this topic for the next part. I, I believe that these are going to be some of the most important messages that I've ever shared going on 14 years at Living Word. Because, because I believe with all my heart that if we can get this series of messages, God will propel us as a body of Christ to go to the next level with him. And, 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 and let me just say something. When there's a group of people that are on the same page and understand what the vision is for this church, and understand what God has called you to do, great things begin to happen. Great things begin to happen. Because we're all on the same page. We understand what our purpose is. We understand what the vision. We understand what, what Christ is calling us to do. And then all of a sudden, God works through that group of people, the church, and God is glorified, Christ is glorified, and he begins to do great and mighty things. So what I want to tackle today, what I want to pack for you today, is, is basically what is the church. And and I know for some of you, when I mention church, it conjures up all kinds of memories. Maybe you were brought up in a church and the favorite part of church was the end. Right? The church I was brought up in fifty eight minutes. Bang, and it was done. And I was watching my five more minutes. God, let this be over, please. This is torture you know and and some of you were raised like that. some of you uh, uh you, the, the only thing you remember uh, about church is, is is church was your whole life you you, you 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 cut your teeth on the pew you know you that, that's it church was your whole life. some of you you were not raised in the church, and you don 't get all the christianese you don 't get all the insider language when when you heard things like Jesus is the lamb who was slain, and by his blood you are healed. You're thinking, man, this is a bloody religion. What, is, what, what did I come to today? This is crazy. I can remember when I first started attending church and in, 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 in my relationship with Christ, and I was going to church, and, and, and some woman next to us always used to say, only by the blood of the lamb, only by the blood of the lamb, only by the blood of the lamb. I'm like, what in the world? Why are, why are we killing lambs? What, what is, what's going on here? I, I, did, I didn't get it. I wasn't there. I didn't, I didn't understand that it was symbolic of Christ and him giving his life. I didn't understand it was symbolic of Jesus, our lamb, that was, that was sacrificed. For. I, I didn't get all that. I, I, was, I wasn't there yet. I, I wasn't churched. I, I didn't get that. So what is the church? And this is, this is what I want us to just, this is what I want to pack for you. And more specifically, how do we operate as the church here at Living Word? And what's different about Living Word maybe than the church you grew up with? And, and why do we do certain things? That it doesn't necessarily make us better or worse But why do we do the things that we do? And and, and this is the reason why I believe this is so vital and why these messages are going to be so important. Why do we emphasize certain things at Living Word? What's our core values? Um, Why do we want you to be involved in membership? Why do we see that as important? Why do we see this as a vital part of the covenant community that we want you to be a part of? Now, I understand when we talk about church, some of you have a lot of pain from the past. And, and I don't want to be ignorant of that because some of you were raised in maybe some very abusive situations. And now when I mention Christianity or church, it just conjures up really bad things. And some of you, maybe it took you years to come back to a covenant community of believers because you were so hurt in the church that you were raised in and you kind of just walked away from it. Maybe you've come back. I remember I was talking to one woman and she was, and she was a Buddhist, which really kind of... I, I really haven't met too many Buddhist people from SOTUS. I didn't even know, you know, I was like, whoa, redneck Buddhist. I never knew that existed. So I'm like, wow, this is really cool. So I really want to talk to her a little bit. So I was like, I was like, why did you become a really nice person, very nice, um, and, and, and very giving, and, and so on and so forth. And I said, you know, I was really curious. I really never, I haven't met a lot of Buddhists. So I was like, what made you become a Buddhist? And here was her response, not because she was drawn to the philosophy or the teachings or whatever. She basically said, the reason why I became a Buddhist is because Christians are hypocrites. Well, that's a good reason to join something, right? Because something else is bad. So her whole reason is because that was her exact words. Christians are hypocrites and they're phonies, and that's why I became... I'm like, oh, okay, well that... Okay, so I'm a Christian, so let's go at it right now. You think I'm phony? No, I'm... um, I was like, wow, that, that, that was... So we began to ask questions, and it was... Interesting how we began to dialogue, and I was able to share the gospel message with her, and it was just an interesting conversation. How many, we, how many of us know that Christians can be hypocritical? They can be. And I think sometimes what we can do is we can look at the church, and we can say, well, because of the way certain people act, or how some people may represent Christ we automatically lump in all Christians together and say, well, they're all that way. And so what we do is we just say, well, the church is that way. So I'm going to walk away from the church because they're phony and they're hypocritical and people have done. We all know that. I wasn't going to argue without that point. I'm saying, say, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know what? I've done some hypocritical things. I'm in that. Bunch. We've all done it. Right. And so we've got to realize this. What is the Church, Is it a bunch of hypocrites that really don't mean what they mean to say? Is, is it just a bunch of people that, that, that everybody knows what we're against, but, but nobody knows what we're for? Is that really what the church is? Is that, is that what Jesus desired us to be? Does that change who the person of Christ is and why he gave his life for the church? And what I want to do is I want to contrast that... Idea of the church that many people have and many people in the world have to this idea that, that Charles Spurgeon, who was a, a pastor in the 1800s in, 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 in London, England, who had a church of over 10,000 people, and he preached this sermon that kind of perked my ears. He did this sermon called The Church, The Dearest Place on Earth. And I'm like, wow, that, that's, a, that's an interesting idea, calling the church. Because so many people have a bad concept of the church. And in fact, uh, Charles Spurgeon called it the dearest place on earth. Charles Spurgeon, what's amazing about me is they didn't have microphones back in the 1800s. He would have preaching to 10,000 people. if If you couldn't speak or you couldn't... Speak loudly. You couldn't even become a preacher. They would actually measure your chest to see how much you could project. Because if you didn't, you were reserved to a Sunday school teacher. Right? You just couldn't. You couldn't do it. And what's amazing that the church I was, uh, I became a uh, a disciple in and became a Christian. And that church was built in the early 1900s before there was microphones and the acoustics in that building are incredible. In fact, you could stand, the sanctuary said about seven, 800 people. You could stand in the center of the sanctuary and, and we tried this out as an experiment and you could go to one end of the sanctuary and you could be just talking like this and you could hear that person as if they were standing right next to you because the acoustics were perfect. So they had to design the acoustics in these large auditoriums these our sanctuaries without the help of microphones. And so this Preacher was just incredible, had an incredible ministry in London in the late 1800s and this was a a, 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 a sermon that he preached now for some of you here today, definitely you would say the church isn 't the dearest place on earth, and it took you, as I said years to come back to the church, and maybe you 're under abusive leadership and, and and maybe you just felt like giving up on the church as a whole but let me let me put this Quote of of Spurgeon in context because he preached this on April 5th, 1891 in London, England, and this is what he said. Let me put it in context for you, and then we're gonna we're gonna jump into the Word of God here, and we're gonna talk about uh, really what Jesus uh, did for the church and what is the definition of the church. Let me quote what Charles Spurgeon said in his in his message. He says, "Give yourself to the church; that you are members of the church." have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you are not. If I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I would have never gone at all. And at the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I became a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All of us, all who have first given themselves to the Lord, should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. Listen, let's get this right right off the bat. The church is full of sinners. If you come to church and you're thinking that this church is is a perfect place and that Christians don't make mistakes, guess what? We're going to make mistakes. How many of you know when you're at a place long enough... When, you're, when, you're, when you have a relationship with someone long enough, you begin to see the flaws in their life. Can I get an amen? The, especially those of you who are married, right? You first met your spouse and you thought they walked down water. They're so wonderful, right? I say, I listen, I do premarital counseling. They're sitting across, they're holding hands. They're so, pastor, we don't need counseling, Our love is going to get us through. We just love each other. They don't do it. And then six months later, they're in there for counseling because they didn't listen to a word I said because they were so in the fog in their love, right? And they're like, well, he leaves a toilet seat up. And I fell in one night when I had to get up. And they do all that. You know, it's like all of a sudden, they're not so what? Perfect, right? Can I get an amen? This is church. We can talk like this, can't we? Is that Okay. All right, Ruth says it's okay, so we can talk like this. All right, so listen, listen. If you come in, see, that's the biggest thing. When you come in and you begin to get fellowship, at first, I, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. Can I just be honest with you this morning? I'm just going to be dead honest with you, okay? It amazed me when someone first came to church, oh, I love this church, and then they all of a sudden start comparing it maybe to an old church they went to. I'm like, Stop. Stop. Because what you're doing right now, you've just come into the church, you think this church is so great, and you're comparing it to your other church that made mistakes because you were there long enough, and all of a sudden you say, Well, I like this church because it's better than. I'm like, Time out. Don't do that. Because you know what? We're going to disappoint you. And guess what? I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to let you down. I've been at this church long enough to disappoint people, right? Amen. You can say amen. That's okay. I, I, I'm going to t- In fact, I may disappoint some of you by the end of this message. Okay? Just give me some grace. We're going we're to let each other down. Right? So we've got to realize that, that Spurgeon makes a great point here. He makes a, a wonderful point here. That even the church, with all its dysfunctions, is still the dearest place on earth. And I'm going to tell you why it is. In a moment, it, it didn't say it's the most perfect place on earth, but it's the dearest place because we can come to this place and be part of this place and be willing to offer grace in the midst of our dysfunctions. To be willing to offer grace and to be willing to work through our differences makes it the dearest place on earth. And see, what begins to happen? If we're not careful, we, can be, we begin to place expectations on the church. We begin to place expectations on the leadership or on the pastor or on one another. And then when somebody disappoints us, we go, aha, just like my other church. There you go, right? See, guys. We got to get over that. There is no, just, I love Spurgeon, there is no perfect church. And I say this all the time to you, when you find it, let me know, because I'll go there too, and I'll ruin it, right? There is no perfect church. Why? Because we're people. And where there's people, there are messes. The church would be a perfect place if there was no people, right? And if you're the only one in the church, because then you could have it all your way. And you wouldn't have to argue with them. You wouldn't have to fuss over things, right? But Jesus brings us together as the church so we can sharpen one another, so we can irritate. It's okay to irritate one another in love. I should do a sermon on that, irritating one another in love, right? It's okay because what we do is we prompt each other. We cause each other to grow. We cannot do that unless we are in an intimate fellowship with one another, and we will never grow as the body of Christ until we come into intimate fellowship with one another. And we're going to talk about those in the next coming weeks. So let's be honest. Let's, let's just throw this right out. The church is full of sinners. There's no perfect church. And the church will let you down. We will let you down at living word. And so, listen, we, we want to be careful about the expectations that we have for one another. We need to understand how we deal with one another in grace, and that's what makes the church great. When we can work through our differences and allow God to reconcile us, this could be a testimony of Christ's power to heal, and that's all about grace. All right, let's look up a couple passages here. Ephesians, uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and... um, I want to look at a couple things here. And this, this is going to be basically the foundation of, of our messages for the next four weeks. Okay, So l- let's look at what the church is and how Christ brings us together to make us the body of Christ. And we're going to look at two passages here at in Ephesians. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. So let's look at, at, at Ephesians 2. And I want to look at verses 17 through 19. And let's see what it says here. It says, He, Jesus, came to preach peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by what? By one spirit. Okay, then he goes to verse 19. He says, listen, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people And members of God's household, and, and this is what he's saying here, you've got people that were far away, you've got people that were near, and now you're all part of this household of God. What I want to touch on today is what Paul meant about people that were far away and people that were near and how God brought them together through his son Jesus Christ to put them underneath the same household. And so what's going on behind this passage? What's going on behind this passage is in a nutshell, Paul is telling his listeners, God brought two, pe- two groups of people together, which was basically a miracle because these two groups of people were completely different. How can God bring together a bunch of people, at, let's say at Living Word, four to 500 people that all have different backgrounds, different ideas, different ethnic backgrounds, and bring us all together under the, the headship of Jesus Christ That's, that's a miracle if, if you don't think that's a miracle I don't know where you're living Because that is a miracle to me How God can bring us together under his spirit This is an incredible testimony So what you have here What Paul is saying here Is you have two groups of people That God brought together When he started the church You have the Jews and the Gentiles the Jews understood God's covenant purposes The Jews were used by God to spread his glory to the earth. And then you got the Gentiles who were non-Jews. And these two groups of people were very hostile towards each other. They did not like each other. Jews were not to associate with Gentiles. And in fact, in the temple in Jerusalem, there was an inscription for the Gentiles that if, if they... Because some Gentiles be, could become God-fearers, but in the temple itself... There was all these sanctioned-off partitions or walls that separated all these different groups of people. And the Gentiles had a warning that if they would enter into a certain part of the court of the temple, that they would only have themselves to blame if, if they were to die in those inner courts. So you had all these sanctioned-off things. They, they could become god fears, but there was all these partitions between these groups of people. And when Paul spoke to those who were near, he was speaking about that very group of people, the Jews. They knew the prophecies. They knew who the Messiah was, yet by their own fault, they turned their relationship with God into a chore, to a bunch of do's and don'ts. They became, in fact, slaves to it, which caused them actually to be hostile towards God. Now, now, let me fast forward this to some of you here today. Some of you here today can relate to this because you were brought up in church And that's all you know and, and in fact I got thinking about this Because really my parents Didn't come to a saving knowledge Of Jesus Christ until I was in 7th grade Even though we were brought up in church The church I grew up in did not preach salvation Did not preach a relationship with Jesus Christ It was more of a, you know, they did good things But, but it really, they didn't tell you to read the Bible They didn't tell you that You know, that Jesus is God That he died for your sins And that you need to repent and be reconciled to God through his son Jesus Christ we were never taught that until we went to this other church that preached that full gospel message well my parents came into a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and that lordship relationship with Jesus Christ and I was in, in in seventh grade so I really wasn't raised in that so I wasn't uh, you know for some of you think well you're a pastor I wasn't raised that way I I knew the day my dad gave his heart to Jesus Christ some guy at Kodak led my dad to the Lord uh at Kodak praise God for Kodak there's a guy in there that, that loved Jesus so much that he wasn't intimidated to tell my dad about Jesus. And in fact, my dad was a deacon at the other church when he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Go figure that, right? So my dad had this newfound relationship with Jesus Christ, and he repented of his sins. And, and then my mom came along, and then, and, and, and then my twin sister, and then me, and then my older sister. It was just like a domino effect. So I wasn't raised that way. However, my kids... We changed their diapers in the pews. They grew up in the nursery it 's all they know they don 't know. In fact, my kids don't even remember the church that we the church that we are in South Carolina, where Wesley and Kobe were born. Lily was, was born here. My two boys are Southerners, right um, uh, they don 't remember the church because they were only like two and three when they came up here when we started. Uh, when we came to pastor at Living Word. So, all they know is you guys. All they know is Living Word. And they love Living Word. Praise God for that. Thank God. Thank you guys for being so good to my kids. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Love you for that. Um, that's all they know. They, they don't know. All they, they know is, is, is VBS, going to VBS every summer, uh, ch- going to church camp, uh, going to Royal Rangers. Me taking them on camp outs. Lord help me. In those camp outs. Um, Lily, all she knows is Missionettes and National Girls Ministry. That's all, all they know. Uh, the only preacher they know is me. God help them, right? That's it. you know, I, I was so blessed a couple of weeks ago. You know, you got kids, my kids aren't perfect, they make tons of mistakes. And I just love that they were in the car. And my oldest son, He goes, Dad, I just like your preaching. I go, okay, what do you want? What do you want? What are you fishing for? Huh? How much money do you want now? Okay. That's all they know. And so what can happen is, listen to me, what can happen for those of you that were raised in the church, some of you teenagers sitting here, young kids sitting here, and all you know is about the church. What can happen? And this is what I'm so careful about with my kids, is just like the Jews, those that were near... Our, our church experience, if we're not careful, can become stale and religious. And it can be apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. I think that's the thing uh, that I am most concerned about with my kids. Because I know they know about church. That's all they know. We, we go to church every... They're not arguing about going to church on Sunday because we go every Sunday. There's no, there's no argument there. They know we're getting up. They know we're going to church. There's no argument. They, they know. Wednesday night youth group. They, they know. There's no argument here. They know that church is the priority in our life. There's no arguments there. So they get that. But the, the question is, is it real to them? You see, for, for Jesus came, even though they knew the prophecies, the Jews, even though they, they knew the scriptures, Jesus had to become real to them. It had to become personal to them apart from religion. Okay, you're with me here. Okay, now follow me here. So what, what, what I want for my kids and, and what I've had and seen the pleasure in at times is seeing God touch their heart. is having conversations with them that I know that they're thinking about and being able to pray with them and seeing God become real to them. There have been points on missions trips where where, where one of my sons is just weeping because they see God touching people on that mission field. That gets me. That that right there, because I know that God is doing something in their heart I'm like, God, please continue to do that in their heart Because I don't want them just to be religious kids And I don't want them To be hardened by the church Where they walk away from it I want them to have that relationship With Jesus, that's real to them Not because Look, at, we're still going to church Whether they like it or not, right? Amen Because my parents did that with me God bless them, right? They kept bringing, because that was priority for our family And then one day it just hit me like a ton of bricks and they kept praying for me, kept praying, didn't give up, kept praying, kept praying, kept praying, kept praying and never give up on your kids. And so I want them to have that real relationship with Jesus, not a cultural Christianity, not a religious Christianity, but a real one. So here's the point. Jesus came for those who were near, but yet they were still far off. Does that make sense? They needed Jesus. So, some of you here, on the other hand, you were the ones that were far off. That was kind of like me. You, you were the ones that had no religious upbringing. You know, when, when the pastor talks about Genesis, you think they're talking about the rock group that's led by Phil Collins. You, you, you don't. What are they talking about? The rock group Phil Collins had. Well, I, I don't get you you, you you didn't know all the Bible stories. Many times you just thank God when we put scriptures up on the wall because you're like, I wouldn't know where to turn in the Bible if he asked me to turn to it, right? You just weren't brought up that way. And, 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 and some have even told me, Pastor, I don't even feel like I fit in. I don't feel like those other people. I'm really messed up. That's okay, because that's what the church is for. Some of you, you lived your life full of addictions and heartache and And Jesus came for you too. Those that were far off, Christ came to you to bring you near. So you got both sets of people here. You got those that are far off and you got those that are near. When, let me ask you a question, when did the church become a place where only perfect people can come? When did it become that? I just want to know. See, when Paul is saying that the church is made up of those who were near, those who maybe grew up in the church, who knew the scriptures, and those who were far away, those who had no idea, weren't brought up in the church, just lived sinful lifestyles, ungodly lifestyles, what God knew is that both needed a Savior. And what begins to happen is now... The body of Christ becomes one, both far and near. That was the incredible thing that happened in the first century church. God brought two types of people who were completely hostile to one another and brought them into fellowship with one another. That is a miracle of God. Because God is the only one who could do that. And that is a witness and a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ and the saving power that he brings to people. Because at the core of every single person, whether we are near or far away, is that we are all sinners who need a savior. Whether or not you were brought up in the church or you weren't, we are all in the same boat when it comes to redemption. Okay. So here's what happens. Jesus literally brought peace between us and God and then peace between each other. Here was the testimony of secular writers, historians, when they looked at the early church. You know what they said? Because this was amazing even to them, because they knew the hostility that was between Jew and Gentile. And what they began to look at these secular historians, they even said, look at how... They love one another. Look at how they work together. That's amazing to me. That was a testimony to the world of God working through the hearts and lives of those who follow Jesus Christ. So so here's the thing. Here is what the church looks like when it is the dearest place on earth. Here's what it should look like. If you're still in Ephesians, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. This is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. This is my life verse right here. When I was a young teenager that got saved, this was it. This is my life verse. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Paul talking about the unity of the body. Okay, Here's, here's, here's why it's the dearest place on earth. Are you ready? Love what Paul says here. He says... As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, speaking to the church, to live a life worthy to the calling you've received. Are you ready? Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit... Through the bond of peace. People, let me tell you what the church is for. The church is about messed up people that have been redeemed by the precious sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why communion is so powerful. You know what I wish we could have done today? I was thinking about this as I was driving into work. It was fun today. I had an extra hour of sleep. I turned on the radio. Christmas music is on. I was on a high driving into church today. It was just, and it wasn't my orange juice. It wasn't expired. It was the real deal. Listen, this is what makes communion so powerful. Jesus says, whenever you do this as the family of God, you do this in remembrance of me. Because what communion does is when we take the bread, we're recognizing what Christ has done for us, his body that was given for us, his sacrifice. We're looking at the cup that symbolizes the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for us. Because the, the scriptures tell us that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. It's through these symbolic elements that we are washed clean. That we now become one together in Jesus' name. And what I wish we could do is I wish we could just have a a big, huge loaf of bread and just pass it around the whole room and everybody take a piece off. Because it's one body that we're partaking of. It's not separate little crackers that we're all individual people, right? Because we live in such an individual world that everything revolves around me. You can have it your way. It's all about you and, and my comforts. But when you come into the family of God, Jesus, no, it, it becomes about me now. Jesus takes ownership of your life. He now becomes Lord of your life. And now my bidding is to do his will. And then he binds us together as the body. We are individuals that make up the body of Christ. So when we begin to serve each other, We're serving as the whole body of Christ. The ministry that God has given you to serve whatever it may be.